This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, I feel like I need a klaxon, but before we get on with this week's Money and Markets episode proper, I thought I'd drop in with a quick comment about the Bank of England's interest rate decision because it came just over an hour after we recorded the main part of this pod. So we did have, as expected, the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee voting to hold rates steady at five and a quarter percent. Now, no surprises, markets were pretty much nailed on with the expectation that we wouldn't see any change this time out. However, one bit that was really interesting was to see the way those members of the MPC voted. This time out, instead of three members voting in favour of a rate hike, we still had two members that said that they felt that interest rates should go even higher than that five and a quarter percentage points. Most voted to hold things exactly as they are. One member actually voted for a rate cut. So you can see there were real divisions around that table when a decision was reached. Now, what's been really interesting is the commentary that's come around that particular decision, because we had Andrew Bailey warning that markets had maybe been a bit over-enthusiastic with regard to rate cut expectation. And just looking at where markets are sitting right now, the expectation is that that first interest rate cut by the Bank of England is now not likely to come until much later. So perhaps even as late as August, although markets still do expect a full percentage point cut by the end of the year. Is that overzealous? A lot of commentators are thinking perhaps that markets are currently getting too carried away. Certainly, we heard from Andrew Bailey that we do expect to see inflation drop to that 2% target by the summer. But he still says that we need to make sure that inflation doesn't go back up again, that that fall is sustained. Clearly, we've seen markets reacting to this news today. We saw the FTSE 250 down a little bit after it rose this morning and the FTSE 100 really shrugging things off. Now it's got to grips with the Bank of England's decision and the decision of the Fed as well. So no change as you were. We'll now get on with the main episode of the Money and Markets podcast. Hello, welcome to another Money and Markets podcast. Now, I'm sure you're all over it, but it's been a big week for interest rate decisions. So on this week's show, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve and how it seems to have kicked the idea of a first rate cut a little bit further down the road. Not going to be happening, it seems, in March, as people previously thought. And we'll also have a look at what's happening with UK rates as well. So joining me this week is Danny Hewson. Hi there, Danny. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? We'll be nice. digging yeah. into Alphabet and Microsoft results as well. I think it is fair to say that the tech giants kind of disheartened investors because of warnings about increasing costs of those generative AI advances and disappointing advertising revenue. 
Now, weak market sentiment is kind of casting a pall all over the European IPO market. London is still losing out to New York. And so we've got a little bit of update. We're going to be got some news about Flutter and Renault, amongst others. And Markets Pod isn't complete without a mention of Elon Musk. And he's asking shareholders to vote to move Tesla's incorporation to Texas after a judge in Delaware ruled that a bumper pay packet he'd been granted by the board was unfathomable. Now, we've also got some quite positive news coming from the sort of the mortgage broker industry. They're saying that things are really picking up in activity. So um, it does suggest we might have some confidence returning to the housing market. But on the flip side, the money helper service has been flooded with visitors looking for financial help since the start of the year. And our guest this week is Jean Roach from Schroeder UK Midcap Investment Trust, who's on the show to talk about interesting companies on the UK market and why she's becoming more optimistic about the outlook. Right. Let's kick things off with the Federal Reserve and US interest rate decisions, because that clearly had a big impact on markets, didn't it, Danny? It did. Yeah. I mean, things just started to tumble. And I think that is down to the fact that after the last meeting with the dot plot, which set out a course for rate cuts, markets got really excited. And there was a great deal of anticipation that maybe, just maybe, March would be the beginning of those rate cuts. Now, The US economy has been incredibly resilient. That is the word I've heard touted around all over the place. And it's true. I mean, the growth numbers, you know, if we had those here in the UK, we'd be doing a jig, wouldn't we? (laughs) But in the US, what we have seen is a situation where, yes, inflation has gone down, but the labour market is still pretty strong. The economy is still pretty strong. And the Federal Reserve is a little bit reluctant to put its foot hard down on the brake. Because psychologically, once it says, that's it, rates are being cut from today, that does change the way that people think about money in the United States. And there is the potential then for inflation maybe to start picking up again, because we've got all sorts of stuff going on, not least the situation in the Red Sea, which is impacting the price of some goods. And what Jerome Powell said at the last meeting is that he didn't think that the committee would have the confidence to start cutting rates by the March meeting. So that sort of shifted things back a bit into the long grass and markets didn't like it. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I I think there's certainly been some signs that we weren't going to get a cut in March, but I just think you know you, you, all it needs is is a, you know you just need it in clear black and white um, from from the Federal Reserve to say you know there's just not enough evidence for that you know inflation to be sustainably lower uh, to warrant this, and so yeah, I mean it, the re- the reaction was pretty bad. Um, you know, U.S. stocks were down between one and two percent. Um, but let's. I guess the thing is to see what, see how it goes for the rest of the, you know, the rest of the week and and, and the coming weeks. So I often think that, that you get a knee jerk reaction sometimes for this thing, and then and then perhaps investors to take a step back afterwards and say, okay, well let's just you know on the balance, you know, okay, so rates aren't going to be cut soon. We still feel like they're going to be cut at some point this year. So I don't think we're going to have 
like I don't think this is going to be the start of a big correction in the stock market. Um, I hope I don't no, particularly words, when but... you think that it's it's literally forty days, isn't it, between the March meeting and the meeting in May, when they could then cut rates. I mean, certainly, you know, they say March, we're probably not going to be confident enough by then, but there's nothing to say that May won't be the time when rates can be cut. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, as with everything, markets have this knee-jerk reaction, don't they? This this great big <gasps> shock moment. And then they stop and they go, well, actually, you know, it's not as bad as I thought. <laughs> and obviously, you know, people have been looking at the market quite closely over the last couple of weeks because we've had some really big companies reporting. Um, the latest one that sort of caught my eye and certainly didn't go down very well with the market was Alphabet, so perhaps best known as owning Google and YouTube. Um, so I think if you go back to the previous quarterly results with Alphabet, they sort of upset the market a bit because the cloud computing arm wasn't doing as well as expected. This time round, it's advertising, which has sort of made people get a bit wary. So if you think that it, it, if you go on to Google, it's full of adverts and companies pay to have their um, sort of certain search terms or their brand showing up high above sort of you know, natural search results. On YouTube, you go on there now and, you know, so much stuff is got adverts on there. So you'd think that you know, both of these incredibly popular platforms that they'd be doing very well. And indeed, the figures that they're reporting in terms of advertising income are gigantic. But unfortunately, it just fell short of what the market was expecting. And I think this is the problem. You've got this sort of this so-called group of magnificent seven stocks, which includes um, Apple and Amazon uh, and Microsoft. Everything they do, it's, everyone sort of assumes that they're always going to be doing brilliantly and they'll always smash expectations. And it, it isn't always that case. So um, poor old Alphabet come out and says, yeah, we're doing good. But you, know, you have to think the backdrop for advertising is not particularly amazing at the moment. We're kind of not really sure about where we're going next with the economy. Um, we've got a year of elections around the world. I just think that companies are slightly cautious about spending big on advertising at the moment. So you, you can understand what's what's going on here. That it, it's quite a, a tough tough sell to get people to to spend money on on promotions. But you know, Alphabet is basically coming out saying. You know, we're going to use artificial intelligence to help enhance our advertising offering because that means spending money. Um, and this, you know, the markets hate that, don't they? They really hate the idea <laughs> yeah. that you, you have to spend money to make money, but the market just doesn't see that way. It doesn't see the, the rewards down the line. It just thinks, okay, there's more money coming out. What we want is job cuts. What we want is cost savings. But you, you just can't can't do like that. So it's obviously, Danny, we had Microsoft as well, haven't we? How, how, how do they fare on the market? It was a bit of a similar picture in terms of what you were talking about, about spending money in order to achieve growth, because that is something that Microsoft was talking about, really soft on its outlook, which I think did sort of dent investor confidence. You're absolutely right. I mean, when you are talking about the magnificent seven stocks, people just think that they are going to consistently over deliver every time. And Microsoft didn't take as much of a pummeling as Alphabet did. So its shares were only down about 2.7% by the end of the day after it reported the results. And 
on the face of it, its results were really quite good. So um, total revenue in the three months to the end of December was up a whopping 18% to a record $62 billion ahead of forecasts. And the big bit that really sort of caught attention was sales growth for Azure, which reached 30%. So this is the sort of cloud services, the, the backroom stuff. A lot of talk about how AI is now being incorporated by businesses. And I think what investors wanted to hear from the Microsoft CEO was, look, we expect that next year AI is just going to explode. Businesses are going to keep spending on the cloud. They're going to keep spending on AI and we're going to make a whole load of extra money. But he didn't say that. And said instead that they did expect that things would come in around expectation, but sort of right in the middle rather than, you know, beating it or setting people's pulses racing. And of course, when you are talking about a company which has seen shares rocket up 70% in the last 12 months, it surpassed Apple as the most valuable publicly traded company, people were expecting rainbows. And maybe they got a couple of the colours, but they didn't get the whole spectrum. They have announced job cuts. We have heard that 1,900 jobs in the gaming sector are going to go at Microsoft. You know, they have the integration of Activision Blizzard, which clearly there's a, a bit of crossover there. So th they delivered on that end. They are thinking about keeping costs very tight, trying to, you know, preserve those margins, which investors do like to hear. But ultimately, you're right. People just want to see the businesses that they investing making more and more and more money. Well, talking of making money, if can you imagine going to business school and then the lecturer saying, here's how you run a really big business. You go on to a social media network and you say, hi, guys. Should we do this or should we do that? And then you, whatever the public says, you go, there we go. You've decided our business strategy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it happens, but Elon Musk seems to think that's how you run a business. And he's um, he's doing some quite remarkable things. Uh, I say remarkable in the word that like your jaw drops and going, what on earth are you doing? So yeah, he's been through the courts. He hasn't got what he wants. And now he's up to something very strange. <laughs> Please tell us, Danny, what on earth is he up to? <laughs> yeah, he's kind of thrown his rattle out the pram a bit, I think, here. Um, he has gone on X. I still call it Twitter. I'm sorry. I can't cope with it being called X. You know, the platform formerly known as Twitter. So he went on and said, all right, Tesla shareholders, let's vote to move the legal home of Tesla from Delaware to Texas. Okay, um, a lot of companies like Amazon, like Tesla, are incorporated in Delaware because it's got some pretty good um, tax rules which make it a really good place to have your legal home. Tesla actually has its headquarters in Texas, so it's not as bonkers as you might think. But the reason for moving is not to make things better for the business not to make things more streamlined, not even to make the business more profitable. No, it's because he's having a pop at a judge who said that 
she didn't think that he should be paid the whopping $55.8 billion that the board had said he could have back in 2018. Now, a shareholder um, launched a legal challenge this, took him to court and said, look, I, I don't think that this is right. And the judge in Delaware said, no, that figure is unfathomable. It looks like the board have been completely dazzled by the celebrity status of Elon Musk. So, no, you can't have that huge paycheck, Mr. Musk. Go away. Think again. And he's he's not happy. So he said at the time that um, businesses shouldn't look to incorporate in Delaware in the future. And now he's just followed that up. And he does just seem to live on X. And of course, by doing that, he's boasting, boosting the use of X. People are talking about X today because of that, another company clearly that he owns. So on one way, it's smart, but on the other way, you know, if you're a Tesla shareholder, what must you be thinking? Uh, well, I guess <laughs> I guess you, you, you've had some idea that he's, he's not conventional. Um, it, as might expect it, but it, yeah, I think it's getting to the point where it is becoming. It's like what on earth? He's become a cartoon character, isn't he? Really, this is like you know, <laughs> yeah, he has. You, you take you take any literally just think of any business in the world that's not Tesla, and if you think, well, if imagine the boss like behaving in this way, you think, well, you know, why are we putting up? We wouldn't put up with that, would we? So what? Like I say, it, I think it is. It's got this. Imagine if you work for Tesla, you think, okay, he is really famous guy. Um, imagine if you say no. I, I think lots of people probably are afraid of saying no to what he wants. So, um, and that's not, you know, at some point there might be enough shareholders to turn around and say, you know, we want a bit more balance here. Um, can't have a sort of an overarching figure, sort of doing everything but um let, let's save that debate for for another day um you've got to wonder to... when he does this though dan when he hits the buttons on his x and sends out these tweets or x's or whatever they're called now somebody somewhere must be thinking we should take away his his phone privileges surely <laughs> well, you, you, you want so many people have deserted x you wonder whether he's just doing it to to get some attention and get people back on the platform again <laughs> but um but what i was saying uh let, let's let, let's move on to some stuff about ipo so this is uh a, a, a jargony term it essentially means the first time a company joins the stock market it's first chance you can buy shares on, on a public exchange to do this um th in recent years we've had Quite a lot of companies saying don't really want to list in the UK. We prefer to list in America because we get a higher valuation. Um, and, and it literally is as simple as that. So there are some little signs that the UK IPOs might be picking up because we've had a really quiet couple of years. Um, but just as we get those little signs, we get someone who's already on the stock market saying, well, might actually um, might be saying, bye, guys, I'm off to the US. And so we've had CRH Ferguson do this last year. Flutter, which is perhaps best known as the, the owner of Paddy Power, um, they announced plans to, to add another listing in the US, but they keep the one in the UK. So um, people thought, OK, we can understand, you, you know. You do loads of business now in the US, you know, that's understandable. But it's now come and made the signals to say, actually, we're going to make the US our main listing. And what this means is that 
the company at the moment qualifies for the FTSE 100 index of um, the UK's uh, largest 100 company listed companies in, in London. If it moves its main listing to the US, it means it won't qualify anymore for the FTSE 100. So it's another, you know, essentially another blow to the UK market's reputation. It's losing yet another really well-known company um, who's just simply going to the US because it wants to have a higher valuation. Now, against that backdrop, we, like I say, we've got some signs that there are a couple of things coming to the market. Um, you know, they are the weird and wonderful. It's probably a way of describing it. Um, we've got a, a Kazakh airline, previously part owned by BAE's, BAE Systems called Air Astana. That's coming on Valentine's Day. Um, sort of a romantic present for, for investors, perhaps. Um, we've got another company called Location Sciences. Um, at the moment, it does sort of lots of data things looking at um, the location of people on advertising. But what it wants to do is to buy a business called Sorted, uh, which is like a software platform for online retailers, and it does shipping, tracking, and returns. Its clients include Marks and Spencers and ASOS and ASDA. So it's that's you know it's quite interesting. That's quite a good sales pitch if it's trying to float on the stock market and get enough support. But it's tiny. It's going to be worth less than ten million pounds on listing. And interesting, one of the big shareholders in the company is the is Mahmoud Kamani, one of the co-founders of Boohoo. So um, I think that you know. Keep an eye on that, but I don't think it's going to sort of change the world. Um, now we've got—I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. There's a company called London Tunnels trying to float, which is uh, reopening. Uh, there's a network of tunnels uh, in in central London near or just underneath Holborn and, and Chancery, uh, Chancery Lane tube stations. Uh, they were used in the in the Second World War. What they want to do is reopen them as a tourist attraction. So that was due in January; hasn't actually arrived yet. So um, you know anything that's running late is kind of an ominous sign in not not a uk listing but we've got in in, in europe we've got renault has said it was going to float its um ampere uh, electric vehicle and software division but that's now being cancelled um i think that it's kind of been blamed on slowing growth in electric vehicles worldwide um and i just think that lots of people you know, whilst whilst we do see lots more electric vehicles on the road Still, lots of people saying I, I don't really like the current price. They've got to be cheaper. Um, we've also got the idea that you know I'm really worried about the infrastructure. I don't want to go on a journey and find that I, I'm going to run out of um, run out of juice. So uh, I think that you know, the electric vehicle sort of sector still got some teething problems. Um, so really, you know, it, it's interesting. I think investors like the idea of new companies coming to the market. It's, it gives them new ideas, new things to get excited about putting things. So um, hopefully we will get lots more this year. But at the moment, it's a bit of a um, one step forward, one step back sort of situation. Absolutely, it is. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a subject that we've finished discussing for the year. And we've got a bunch more to talk about uh, in this podcast from Jeremy Hunt rolling back on tax cut teases to a surge in demand for financial help since the start of the year. But first, let's hear from this week's guest. The FTSE 250 index is home to some of the UK's most interesting medium-sized companies, and it's a good hunting ground for investors 
looking for stocks that have the potential to outperform larger companies over time. Jean Roach manages the Schroeder UK Midcap Investment Trust. She's an expert in finding innovative and disruptive companies on the UK stock market. Dan recently caught up with Jean to talk about house builders, Greg's and more. Here is what she had to say. So, Jean, FTSE 250 is um, typically the, the area people look at for, for mid-cap stocks. And over the years, it, saying, if you look back in history, um, they've, they've tended to do very well and, and often better than larger companies. But I guess over the last sort of five years, they haven't really done a lot. Um, just get your view on why you think that perhaps the FTSE 250 is sort of being stuck in the mud for a bit. Well, you've stolen my thunder a bit because I was going to talk a little bit about the long term records. But um, if you'll forgive me, I, I will give you some of the stats um, in that it's actually beaten most of most developed markets and even the S&P 500 on a total return basis over the last, say, 25 to 30 years. When you look at it in local currency terms and it's neck and neck when we look at it in dollar terms. So, you know, almost almost um, or just about meeting the performance of the S&P 500. But you are wanting me to focus on the more recent performance, um, which is, um, yeah, you, you talked about the last five years. But I think where where we would, um, where we did start to see um, real sensitivity to interest rates and, and the fact that this is an index which is uh, very sensitive to interest rate expectations, actually, um, you can see that it started to underperform. Um, and which is why, actually, in Q4, 2023 once it looked as though interest rate expectations had peaked and might well be and we might well be looking at interest rate cuts um the uk mid caps broke out and delivered an almost 10 percent return back in just um in the in the last quarter so october to december 2023 and that was well ahead of the world's index on around eight and a half percent so i think you know it, it, looking back over the last five years it's been um, a tricky time for flows um, in terms of people moving money out of UK equities and into global, um, particularly UK pension funds. Um, but I think, you know, um, so that's one factor. Um, but then the other sort of interest rates, rising interest rates haven't been a friend to um, UK mid caps, even though some are very well able to deliver very good results, uh, even in that environment. And, and I'd hope that we have some of those in our portfolio. And, and, and indeed, they have shown that to be the case. Um, but you could see that big turn there last year in Q4, um, you know, just underlining the fact that there, there is that sensitivity to um, interest rates. If someone's looking at the UK stock market quite often, um, house builders are an area which people you know, perhaps would, would would look at first of all because there's plenty of stocks to choose from. Now you've got a stake in Red Row. Um, I guess if we're if we're approaching the point perhaps where interest rates might start to fall, um, is this quite an interesting time to be looking at the house building sector? Because it's been in, it's been sort of struggling for a bit, but it does feel like we could be on a, a sort of a turning point. Well, I mentioned that Q4 um, last year, October to December, was you know an interesting time for UK midcaps, and actually it was the house builders that were romping away in Q4 last year, um, and you know started to take off as we saw that interest rates um, that there was a prospect of of them certainly having plateaued and maybe starting to come down um, at some time in the next twelve months. So um, you saw the, the you know the very interest rate sensitive stocks. 
And, you know, we start, started to see mortgage deals with a four in them instead of fives and sixes, which is what really scared the sector in the previous sort of 12 months and, um, and, and which really hurt the sector. Um, so, yes, I mean, it is an exciting um, area to look at again now. I mean, I, I would say the health warning is that, um, you know, it, it, it does have a political football status. And I did notice headlines in the last week or so about, you know, potentially um, mortgages, 99% loan to value mortgages being allowed again. And, you know, and lots and lots of speculation, regulation, speculation, um, you know, planning permission issues. But I think, you know, the fundamental issue of supply failing to keep up with demand underpins the sector. And I think that's something that maybe international investors don't appreciate about the UK housing market, that we have this tightness of supply, um, uh, which doesn't necessarily exist, for example, in the US, uh, which is why I think many US investors are quite excited about Vistry, for example, um, which is um, exposed more to the um, social housing um, side of things at the moment. But you asked me about Red Row. And I think that, you know, the reason actually that one's quite interesting at the moment is that it's trading at a 10 percent discount to its um, tangible book value, which is something that, um, you know, lots of people look at. It sounds a bit technical, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a traditional valuation that people look at for the sector. Um, so it's looking inexpensive. It's exposed to um, a, a sort of usually a slightly better off customer, um, which, you know, unfortunately, the way things have gone it, um for you know the, for the lower end uh, of the income uh, segment, it's, it's been tougher, but the upper end are still um, you know have have benefited actually from interest rate rises because they've had more savings and they've benefited from interest income, so they're exposed to that slightly more well-off customer. Um, and you know actually over the years, I took the liberty of digging out some numbers, you know looking at the returns when, without being too technical, uh, the returns at Red Row things like. A return on capital, return on assets, um, return on invested capital. It it's in the better, um, in the upper part of the sector as well over 10 years. Um, so delivering a good long term record. And I mentioned, I think, management teams, you know, very important to us when we're picking stocks. Um, you know, one of the best in class management teams in the sector at Red Row. So what, one thing that um, investors always seem to ask is, at what point should they sell a stock? Or you know, I, mm. if something's doing well in my portfolio, do I just keep running that winner, or do I take profit at some point? So uh, there was a stock in your portfolio. It's called Four Imprints. Um, it does all the sort of the promotional pens and hats and stuff. It, it's it's had a really good run over the years, but it's still a really big part of your portfolio. What? Could you explain your process? If something's doing well, do you prefer to stick with it until essentially the investment case changes? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And, I, you know, that was something I, I would have discussed with my colleagues, um, you know, on and off over the years, walking into the office, you know, when, when, do, you, when do you come out of this one that's working really well? Um, and the dangerous thing is that you can really love a stock, get to know it very well, but it can't love you back. So um, that's why you have to be very... Um, sort of cold about it um, and that's why we have something called a thesis capture which covers three KPIs for each stock usually something around top line growth then margins that you're expecting and then probably returns that you're expecting as well and that sort of helps to keep you between the guide rails you know keeps your focus is it still doing what I expect it to be doing um, and the winners will be consistently hitting these targets um, and then we'll also 
um, you know, have a fair value in, in this sort of thesis capture that we have for the stock. We'll have a, a fair value that we've decided um, and we'll, we'll keep that up to date as well. So we'll constantly um, revisit the position and, and, you, and you can manage it as well. Um, I mean, selling when it goes into the FTSE 100 is a great discipline. Um, and that means that our strategy has um, succeeded. Um, but actually, what we might do is, you know, just trim, a, you know, right size, trim a position. Um, you know, it's not necessary to, to sell out completely, but just make sure that it's, you know, that you're, you're risk managing correctly. And as you say, um, it's worth mentioning, some, you know, some of what Foreign Print has managed to deliver. It's been an absolute rock star. Um, after we had two years of 45 percent top line growth. Um, and significant margin improvements, all down to you know spending its marketing money better, you know dividing between paper, TV, radio. Um, it's all very local, and actually, it's not even a UK company. Um, you know, interestingly, you know, at the mid 250s, full of companies where revenues from outside the UK. About half the revenue in the whole index comes from outside the UK, and half within. And this is one of those companies where almost 100% of the revenue comes from the US, um, and it's headquartered in the fantastically named Oshkosh in Wisconsin. Um, I've yet to do a site visit. That might mean I'd never sell a a share. Um, But what's amazing about this is, you know, 1.3 billion revenues now almost doubling over the last five years. And I I think now I do sound like I've fallen in love with this. Um, But it was actually it's a funny it's a funny history because the company was actually founded in Indiana, um, moved to Wisconsin in 88, founded in 85. And then it was called Nelson Marketing. And then it was purchased by a London based company called uh, Bemrose Group. Um, which renamed itself then to Four Imprint. So this is why it's you know it's kind of a legacy that is listed in the UK. But it um, happily it seems to be perfectly happy uh, being listed in the UK, um, which is another theme we're probably not going to get into right now. No, I, I think if, if if you ask the average person on the street, say like, oh, you know, ha- have a look at the FTSE 250. Um, you know, who who do you think might be some sort of standout? companies you know well-run businesses i always get the impression that they might say greg's is really good money supermarkets are really good you haven't got either of those stocks certainly the list that i saw what is it about them that you, you perhaps don't like um yeah you're absolutely right um i think they are um you know particularly greg's excellent companies um and you know excellent brand value some genius moves with them. Um, uh, collaboration with Primark, for example, um, and I see that Greg's is looking at going international. So uh, yes, I, I, you know, I think the thing about um, Greg's, let's talk about that first, is you know we are spoiled for choice with consumer stocks in the UK, and I do have uh, we do have a number of consumer stocks in the portfolio. Um, so you know we have to then you know look at valuation, and I think um, it hasn't ever really become cheap enough uh, for me. Um, but it is, you know, it's definitely one that I keep an eye on and I've been very interested in how it's managed to start moving into sort of the evening trade. And I mentioned, you know, potentially moving um, internationally. But, it, you know, we do have WH Smith and, and there they do have already an established international business. So I think if Greg's could prove that it can go international successfully, um, that would then be absolutely compelling uh, and it would probably mean that it could, you know, be valued um even more highly but I have to say that you know Roger Whiteside who went in there and did an absolutely fantastic job and you can even get decent coffee there now which um, used, used to not be the case <laughs> many years ago 
Um, and then, you know, you mentioned uh, Money Supermarket as well. Um, I think with that one, it's, a, you know, again, um, fantastic brand name. And actually, you know, with the cost of living crisis has certainly, um, you know, been a beneficiary of that and, and a place that people would look. Um, but it is affected by the direction that insurance premium, you know, insurance premium pricing is going and also energy pricing as well. And whether people are interested in switching or not. Um, it's, I think it's more difficult for that one to control its own destiny. But, you know, I have to say it is very notable that it's managed to fend off Amazon in the price comparison space. So at the start, you mentioned about how um, so UK stocks saw a little bit of um, excitement towards the tail end of last year. Now, looking looking out across 2024, I think interest rate cuts are meant to be, you know, a sort of a, a key turning point. Are you quite optimistic? Actually, it could be a really good year for UK stocks once we start to get sort of much clearer um, sort of signals from the Bank of England, I, I guess even on a global basis from the Fed as well, that, that rates are going to start to come down. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what's really interesting um, uh, and, uh, you know, the UK SMID actually more generally bucked the trend last year in that uh, UK SMID outperformed UK large and it was one of only five markets globally to do that. And within sort of the in, within Europe, only the UK and Switzerland um, outperformed large caps in terms of SMIDs versus large. And, and but over the long term, we've seen a three percent performance premium. Um, so it was good to see that start to return. So it was two percent last year. So do we see that continuing this year? And you know, a lot of that came obviously in that last quarter of last year also. Um, so I think, you know, depending on the economist you speak to, so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a range of them. I, I look across their Bloomberg forecast and our internal ones as well. We're looking at, I would say, three to four um, interest rate cuts this year um, of, you know, so 100 bips in total. And then looking into next year, I think the market's put in 100 bips. But, you know, I think let's let's stick with this year. Um, and so I think, yes, it can be very exciting. And after, you know, as you know, um, after significant underperformance by SMID relative to large cap, which is what we've had over the last, you know, let's say three, four years out of five, um, then you start to see a big, um, uh, significant uh, return um, and outperformance um, in the following year. So I think we're starting to see the beginning of that. Um, you know, I think what the drivers of that whether it's flows, whether it's M&A. I mean, it was slow for mid caps last year, but 10% of small caps were acquired were acquired in the UK. And I think that shows you the um, intrinsic value that must be in the UK market. And the average premium actually last year was 51%. And I think it was, you know, 40 the year before and 38 the year before. So the average premium when a, a company got taken over was 51% last year. And I, I think that's a really interesting and large number, especially when you compare it with any deal premium in international markets. Um, so yeah, I think more M&A and, and possibly moving back up into mid caps. Um, I think, you know, the consumer can continue to confound um, and delight in the UK um, because, you know, the, the UK consumer has been doing a fair bit of saving actually, uh, certain, particularly in certain um, more well-off demographics and benefiting from that and not, and you know, the mortgage rate hikes are only being felt in a, very specific pocket of the of the population so yes a severe pain being borne by some but on average more cash you know and 19 billion more going into the economy than coming out at, at currently um with interest interest income versus mortgage rate increases and, and more extra mortgage uh, payments being made um of course you know you know trump would be the wild card and how that relates to the uk 
Um, and we have to see that play out and there's been talk of tariffs and so on. But, you know, I think that's something to wait and see and, and wouldn't be UK specific. Um, but, you know, again, as I said, that, you know, the UK consumer and the, um, you know, 10 percent almost wage increase coming through for a significant portion of the population um, and also, you know, the triple lock as well kicking in. Um, so, you know, we, we will see, um, you know, a fairly well underpinned consumer, I think. So that was Jean Rose from Schroders. Now, obviously, the health of the UK economy is crucial to the health of the FTSE 250 companies. And there's been a lot of talk from Chancellor Jeremy Hunt about getting the UK growing. And one of his plans is to do that is to cut taxes. Um, and clearly, we've got election year coming up. There's a budget coming up on the 6th of March. So there is a lot of expectation we could get some news on tax cuts very soon. National insurance cut is one potential idea on the table, according to press reports. Uh, also, 2P cut to income tax. But Jeremy Hunt has been urged not to cut taxes by the International Monetary Fund. So it, it's, this economic body is saying that you know, you've got to preserve high quality public services and you've got to do critical investments to boost growth. And because doing this makes sense but they require higher spending than is currently reflected in the government's plan. So essentially the IMF is sort of saying that the Treasury is going to have to need to ensure it's got adequate money coming in to maintain the public services and to get that economic growth uh, you know, ticking over and to achieve net zero targets. But essentially, at the moment, the government might have got its maths wrong. So I guess you know, what's, what the question is, what's the solution? Um, IMF suggests more carbon and property taxes, eliminate some loopholes in wealth and income tax, and reform the pension triple lock, which sees the state pension going up by the higher of average earnings, inflation as measured by CPI, or, or 2.5%. So if you just think about what what's where does the IMF see the UK at the moment? It, it's, it, it's forecast... 0.6% growth in 2024. Um, low inflation could boost consumer spending power, so, uh, you know, if you look a bit further. So it's it's penciling in UK growth of 1.6% in 2025, but that is slower than it forecasts about three months ago. So um, essentially, we're looking at a country with very slow growth. Um, IMF, obviously, is thinking... That, you know, the government has a, has a plan or a certainly aspiration to get those growth figures moving, but it's got to get its mass around these things. So obviously we've got the budget coming up um, in in a month's time. We'll do a special podcast to do about uh, cover all the main things. And I imagine in the, sort of the weeks leading up to it, we'll, we'll go over what's been rumoured and and how that might impact your money. And certainly it's been very interesting to see all the political coverage of these potential rabbits which Jeremy Hunt has been teasing might be pulled out of the hat and also the fact that he's now rolling back on that. So he's given an interview to the BBC saying that he doesn't think that we will have the same scope for cutting taxes in the spring budget that we had in the autumn statement. So this is trying to really manage expectations and also saying, you know, head of the Bank of England's decision where they might be factoring in potential tax cuts into their decision making because obviously if people have got more money to spend 
that can fuel inflation as well, that they are looking, if they do implement tax cuts, to do them in a responsible, targeted and managed way. And, you know, people listening to this, many of them are still struggling. So we've already had a national insurance cut, which was announced in in the autumn statement. I don't know if you took a look at your paycheck this month, but I certainly noticed the difference, a little bit more money in my pocket. And people, they are still struggling. And you can see that from the fact that the Money Helper Service, um, which is uh, an online service which provides people with help with money troubles, and the number of people accessing this jumped 34% in the first week of 2024. That is according to the Money and Pensions Service. So this is people logging on for looking things like debt help, scams, bankruptcy, breathing space. I mean, these are all the kind of phrases which just suggest that people are taking a look at their finances post-Christmas and having a bit of a rude awakening and feeling, okay, now is the time that I've got to pull my head up out of the sand. I need to tackle it and do something. So I think it's really important to make sure that this service, which is an impartial service backed by the government. It offers free help and guidance to people on a whole range of topics. So if you are in a situation where you're looking at your finances and you're thinking month to month, things are just not meeting. Those ends are just not meeting, that there is too much month at the end of the money, then do make sure that you ask for help. There is help out there. But this just demonstrates that although we we keep hearing about, you know, confidence levels rising, about optimism, about inflation coming down, about potential interest rate cuts, even though all of those things are on the table in the here and now, some people are really struggling. There are some green shoots, actually, in the, the housing market, just um, so give us sort of a contrast to to you know obviously what what, what we've seen and what Money Helper are, are, are talking about. Uh, UK mortgage approvals are at six month high, and what what we're seeing here is that you know, net mortgage approvals rose to just over fifty thousand in December. Um, net approvals for remortgaging increased to almost thirty one thousand in December. So I, I think here is that you've got lots more people are taking a sort of um, a broader look at where where interest rates are headed you know even though interest rates um sort of you know are still relatively high at the moment there's expectation expectation by the end of the year that they, they, they could be got lower and so you're already seeing mortgage companies um sort of lower their rates particularly there's a bit of a price war here as well um and so you've got prospective homeowners are thinking that you know let's let's have a go let's see if we can get on the, the housing ladder if you've already got a house lots more people are thinking maybe i can i can move house um or you know get, get a, a different mortgage deal and so we, we we're hearing some positive feedback from mortgage brokers about this situation one of them said that uh you know in december usually it's quite a quiet month. People are, um, are thinking, you know, you know, just about their sort of the festivities, not thinking about the housing ladder. Um, 
but they said like there's a they've seen a real increase in both first time buyers and home movers looking to interesting upsize, not downsize. Um, another said it's like like someone's flipped a switch and, and they're, they're absolutely swamped. Um, they've got people. You know, they said that the market in the north is running a bit hotter than than um, you one might imagine. They said one person in Hull listed their home for sale last week. Um, it was a sort of typical first home, uh, ex-councillor's um, property. They had 17 viewings booked immediately. Four out of the first five offered the asking price or close to it. Um, and then it went to best and final bids. And you know, actually, the, the other 12 viewings that were booked it had to be cancelled. So um, things that sort of seem to be moving again. So you know, obviously, these are just sort of a select number of examples. But um, this is really interesting. Uh, but obviously, against this backdrop, there's now talk that we could see a 99% mortgage scheme for first-time buyers. So essentially, if, if, if you're looking to buy your first house, you might you would only be able to have to put down a 1% deposit towards your first home. Of course, like I say, it's election year. Um, let's see what the... You know, see what the treasury can sort of um, do to try and you know, keep they love to keep the the housing market ticking over but you know the, likewise there's a there's a you know, the downside of this if they do get sort of this this suddenly this 99% mortgage scheme launch could that cause the market to overheat so yeah what one to keep an eye on i think yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when we talk about solutions for the housing market, help to buy, clearly, if you're trying to get on the housing ladder, then anything like a 99% mortgage is a fantastic thing. I mean, having to come up with a 1% deposit, it, it might allow people who are really struggling to get on the housing ladder to take that first step. But on the other hand, you know, whoever it is that is voted in at this next election needs to think not just about help to buy, but also about help to build. We still have a huge shortage in properties. And you're absolutely right. While demand still outstrips supply, that keeps the housing market artificially hot. And then that potentially down the line can lead to more problems. But look, before we wrap up this episode, we wanted to give you a little teaser about a bonus podcast that's going to appear early next week. If you are a fan of investment trusts, you are going to love it. And if you don't know what they are, you just want to hear some interesting stuff about markets, companies and investing in general, you'll also find loads for you. So the plan is to run this once a month. So this bonus podcast will cover a range of topics with investment experts and fund managers. Each episode will debate some of the most popular trusts that are held by retail investors, the big topics that matter, and there'll be a little bit of educational material as well to help get listeners up to speed. So if you subscribe to this podcast, the AJ Bell Money Markets, the usual podcast, you'll see the bonus episode pop up in your feed next time. I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back with the normal Age of Bell Money Markets podcast in a week's time. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares magazine. The podcast isn't telling you if a certain investment is suitable or not. Don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that how you're taxed will depend on your individual circumstances and rules can change. The way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. 
If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. <laughs>